Welcome back, everyone. Arthur Staple here. You're listening to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Uh, had a week away. Uh, had to deal with some family business. Steve Valaket needed a week away after a medical situation for him. It wasn't, <laughs> let's just say, let's just say, Steve, it wasn't a great week last week to be recording a podcast. But here we both are. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, how do I tell everybody that I had a near-death experience because I ate too many walnuts? Um, I'll say you got to make it sound sexy. Another, than that, another forum. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we're here. That's the most important thing, and uh, we've missed a few games. Uh, probably the only one that mattered out of those was uh, the game last Thursday, two-one loss to Jersey. That essentially, not officially, but essentially, cemented the Rangers in third place. Um, and these remaining five games are pretty much just. Rounding out the schedule, the Rangers have 101 points. They can get, they can pile up some team points. Some players can reach some more individual milestones. But really, we know they're finishing third. It's probably going to be Rangers Devils in the first round. We don't know that for sure. But basically, Valley um, motivation, you know, human nature. You you can't. It's hard to stay motivated all the time, especially when you know what your what your future holds and that you're going to have to be motivated in a big way in a couple of weeks. So, you know, from when you played or just, you know, all your encounters with players over the years as a, as a coach, as a teacher, as a player, how do you how do you as a pro athlete stay engaged and motivated at this time of year? And, you know, what is what does it take, I guess, to, to sort of find some meaning in these games that probably don't have a whole lot of meaning? You know what it is? It's what's at stake for you. It really becomes personal, which isn't the best thing down the stretch when you've already locked into a playoff spot or you're out. You know, you're playing for a contract in some cases. In some cases, you're playing just to have a stable career in the league. That was oftentimes my position. I I never took a game off. I didn't have the luxury of that. But you can wonder about the Rangers this year after going as far as they went last year, knowing how exhausting it was to go as far as they did last year, how recent that memory is. And then approach these handful of games right now, how can you be motivated if you're Adam Fox, if you're Panarin, if you're Zibanejad Kreider, where you know how hard it's going to be or how hard it's about to be in two weeks? And how can you really put your foot down, pedal to the metal to get yourself to to the finish line of the regular season before it really matters? It's just too recent. Last year, I would think the guys were kind of oblivious as a group to this about how hard it's going to be. And now they know. And recently, Adam Fox talked about the beginning of the season and taking a deep breath and saying, oh, boy, I just want the playoffs to start again. I want to get back to that. But you've got to go through a full 82 games to get there. And now, at this point, from my position, I just want everybody healthy. I don't care (laughs) if Lindgren plays another game. I don't care if Kane plays another game. I just want everybody to start to see, like, we forget, Lindgren got hurt in the last game of the season last year. Yeah, You know, I remember this one from, I think it was the 2015 season where if you remember maybe two games to go or three games to go when McDonough broke his hand off a Brandon Dubinsky one-timer. Do you remember that one, Arthur? I do vaguely. Yeah. I remember saying to myself, are you kidding me? The captain is going down right now because he tried to block Doobie's one-timer. Nothing offensive Doobie, but he didn't have much of a (laughs) one-timer. And it was from like the outside on a penalty kill where he put his glove down to the ice to block it. And I was like, I just felt like at that moment, the Rangers didn't have a shot in the playoffs. You know, they lost in game seven to Tampa Bay that year, Eastern Conference Final. But that's where I'm at right now. I really just want the team to get through healthy. And 
you know, whatever feeling they have about their game right now, it's individual. But like from the standpoint of Shesterkin, he's a pretty good example. He had to get his game together, and he has. Um, you know, and that's a very good thing as far as individual uh, implications to the team. So, yeah, and, and of course the lines have to gel. So there's certainly things that have to you want to feel good about, but the most important thing is you start healthy. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to Shesterkin in a, in a few. Um, let's zone in a little bit on that that Devils game because, like you said, that really was the only one that had that carried a lot of meaning, and it certainly um, you know the one consistent thing that I think we saw in that game was it was a slow start for the Rangers, which I think we saw in a few games uh, after that as well uh, and before that. Um, but it was a two one game. You know, it went down to the wire. The Devils were really pumped for that game. It seemed like they wanted to be able to put the Rangers away. And I, and I guess the best thing that you can say in losing that game and losing a chance at home ice is the Rangers did see the devil's best, which, you know, they've seen it at other times throughout this season. The devils have had a very good year from start to finish with a little bit of a hiccup, in, you know, in the middle of the year. Um, but you like to have that fresh video and that fresh memory, I would imagine, for the Rangers players, especially the new guys who hadn't seen the Devils yet since they've been Rangers, of what they're going to see in a couple of weeks and be, you know, have the have a few of those snapshots fresh in their mind that this is a team that plays incredibly fast, that goes up the ice a lot, they sends four guys up all the time, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to have to be ready for it. And they weren't really ready in the first period, but you, you got to figure when the puck drops for Game One, if it is Rangers Devils, as we anticipate in 12 or 13 days, the Rangers will not fail to start on time in that game, possibly because they learned their lesson, whatever, a week or so ago. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? So I'm just looking at the standings. The Devils have four games remaining. They're three behind Carolina. Carolina's got five games remaining. Yeah, you have to probably say with pretty good confidence it's going to be Rangers-Devils, and the Devils are going to have home ice. And I think that the good news is, is exactly what you just said there. My takeaway from the game was that the Rangers got to see the Devils at their best. They got to feel the Devils' speed at their best. They got smoked in the first period. I thought the Devils owned the game. The Rangers had a solid second and third period to recover and get something out of that game. It was a miracle they weren't down more after one. But they still got to understand, I think, the style that they have to play with. If there's one area that still concerns me about the team and it's it's the old bill parcells line right we are what our record says we are right well the rangers are not a good team off the rush as far as defending goes they're just not and i did a full project on this today i spent a lot of time on it for the season they're 23rd off the rush so i went back and i wanted to see maybe what they were up until december 5th because that's when i feel like they turned their season around at the game of after the Chicago mm-hmm. game where Truba threw his helmet right. versus St. Louis. So they went uh, up until December 5th. They were 19th off the rush against them. Like, okay, look a little bit deeper. After December 5th, maybe? Well, they're 28th. They actually <laughs> took a step back. And then from the March 3rd deadline was my final surge. I'm like, oh, 28th. Okay, so we are 28th. That's where we are. We give up a lot off the rush. Thankfully, uh, the Ranger goalies have been very good at stopping pucks off the rush since the trade deadline so you've got that going for yourself but when i look at total offense arthur and i'm talking about what kills teams in the playoffs it's giving up the big chances off the rush and the rangers are really gonna have to play the devils cautious 
And I mean cautious, like not go for everything that they think they can go for unless they're 100%. Because the transition game that the Devils have and own is going to smoke them out. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. So I'm I'm concerned with that. And I think that everybody has to understand there's going to be a level and an expectation that everybody's going to have to behave and play under to be able to play the Devils and match up against the Devils the right way. The Rangers have much more finishing skill. But I don't think they want to go chance for chance off the rush and give them too much because the Devils have shown they can really hurt you off the rush. One of the other aspects of that game was, uh, even though he gave up two, in the first period was Igor Shosturkin. And um, you mentioned it before, as if you're looking for individual players to get their individual mindset ready, obviously no one is more important in that individuality than the goaltender and no one is more important to the Rangers' success than Igor Shosturkin. Now, I was on your site, as I'm sure you'd be – I don't know if it freezes when we try to do similar searches maybe at the same time, but I think we both <laughs> we both had it in our heads. I had it for a story I wrote uh, just kind of catching up on Monday, and you had it going into today, and I'm sure going into the broadcast going forward through this weekend. Um, I looked since Ryan Lindgren went out with his, uh, shoulder, with his upper body shoulder injury uh, against Washington, the next, starting the next game against L.A., up through – uh, this most recent game in Washington, uh, Igor's number one in the league in goals saved above expectation. He's He's got about a half a goal lead on Philip Gustafson from Minnesota. And that's where he wanted to be. Uh, he's he's also at a 922 save percentage, which is about three points higher than his, uh, than his expected save percentage. So he's still facing some decent quality shots. Uh, and he's playing at that level, that 2021-22 Igor level. Now, mm-hmm. To me, and you can, we can debate this as I kind of posited in the story. You know, last year he was the Vezina winner by about Martin Luther King Day. I think everybody knew it. Even if he threw a couple of clunkers out there, he had played so far and away better than anybody else in the league the first three months of the season. He was winning that trophy and he was, you know, just finished off a record setting year, one of the greatest goalie years uh, since NHL went from six teams to 12. And then he stumbled in the playoffs because the playoffs were foreign to him. And maybe part of that had to do with he was not trying to get his game in perfect year in the month or so of meaningless games to him and the team leading up to the playoffs. That was not the case for him now. Even if the team knows where they're going to be, he wasn't too sure of where he was going to be. And you pointed out, uh, you know, you'll tell us in a minute where you feel like kind of the game that turned for him. but, But he is on the incline now. And it's the right time of the year. And maybe that's something that's going to change a little bit as they go into that first round where he had some jitters against the Penguins because it was his first time and maybe because he'd been playing at such a high level for so long. That hasn't been the case this year, but he is playing at a high level right now. And I got to think that that's going to help him and therefore help the team as they go towards when the games start to matter. You know, when people are actually doing searches for any analytic or any stat, they can move that meter wherever they want and they can make it work for the team too, right? Because you can falsely go back and say, okay, well, they started playing well uh, right about here. They lost two before that, but let me start right here. So now the Rangers are seven and two in their last (laughs) night, right? You You can do that. You can play that game. I don't choose to do that because I don't like to, I want to do, I want to, I want to actually go from eyeballs to analytics. So backwards. When I saw Igor playing like the Igor that I covered closely last year, for the very first time this season consistently, it started for me March 9th against the Montreal Canadiens in Montreal. And it was because of the time of the saves that he was making, 
the types of the saves. It was a breakaway. And you're looking at the second and third period where he brought the team in overtime and he he was he was the man. I, I thought he looked like himself uh, physically, mentally, and he imposed that will, the body illusion that he has in the net where he's got his posture big and strong and he looks like he's over the puck and his feet are under him. That That started for me in the third period against Montreal, late stages of second period, third period. And from that point forward, I, I wanted to look at who's been playing at that level that I saw with my eyes. <laughs> who's been playing at that level since March 9th? And uh, the answer is nobody. <laughs> Nobody's even close. It's Igor Shosturkin as the best goalie in the world again. And then some of the usual suspects, Vasilevsky, Saros. But he's been the number one goalie on rebounds faced since that time. He's faced 18, only allowed one goal. He's had 15 breakaways. He's only allowed one goal. That ranks him second. He's had 29 east to west plays. He's only allowed five goals. That ranks him fourth. And why are those three areas important? Because they really represent the goalie's explosiveness with their feet being under them. And rather than getting wide and being committed to going down early or being wide and being committed to slide into your saves, he's able to arrive on his feet right now again. And his breakaway numbers really speak to his feet being under him because when he tries to get deeped, he is able to finish with his pads above his posts and like really smother you the way that we used to see Henrik do it. And, you know, you're watching clips. There was a breakaway uh, against Washington the other night on on uh, Sunday. And I'm just like, oh, my God, he read that thing like a short story. Like He is all over the puck right now. And he has that look again. So exciting because he's going to be the most important player to start the series. And he's locked in right now. So for Ranger fans, it's like take a deep breath. I think we were all concerned at one point in the year if Igor was going to get it all the way back, and he's all the way back right now, and it, it it looks it. He really looks the part. Really happy to see it. The Rangers, I, I thought this kind of snuck up on me. They've allowed the fourth fewest goals against in the NHL right now, 2.66 goals against average for he and Halak. So it's been a tremendous year in net after some certain times that were a little uncertain. <laughs> yeah. Um we had some news also during this uh, time that we were both uh, trying to stay upright. Um, Philip Hedl signs a four-year extension, $4.375 million per year. And, um, you know, I know you're not the cap-friendly contract guy, Steve, but, uh, but I think even you, your eye test and my research – uh, talking to people throughout the year through when these negotiations were, you know, kind of slowly going along since the beginning of the year. Um, if this number was under four and a half with the sort of season, four and a half per for the sort of season that Philip Hedl had, it was a win for the Rangers. It's certainly a win for Philip Hedl. He could have waited and tried to see, um, gone to arbitration, see if he could have gotten something Five million per year, something whether it's a year or two years to take himself to unrestricted free agency, see about getting a big payday somewhere else. So he clearly is committed to staying here, and that means staying as number three center and on the number two power play. And I think that mentality is a good thing for the Rangers that you have guys like that, young guys who are not saying "Give me mine right now." They're saying, "I think I like what we've got here." So that's number one with Heedle, and number two with Chris Drury and what he's got to do with second contracts for Keandre Miller and Alexi Lafreniere, and they've got to find a backup goalie, whether it's Yar Halak again or somebody else. 
uh, with not a lot of cap space to do it. And they're trying to make all the, keep this core together, this young core together without having to trade any veterans. Um, it's, uh, it's a tough balancing act. And this number is a, is a friendly number for jury to be able to get stuff, some other stuff done. So, um, your, your thoughts on this, my thoughts win for both sides and yep. pro- overall win for the team to have a young guy like that want to stay here, even in a situation that might not be perfect for him. All right. I just counted six years. That's where he's at right now. He's six years in New York Ranger. You know what that means when you're drafted and you're developed and you're homegrown? It means a lot to the player. This this league never feels like a business until you've been traded. When you When you're with your first lover, you've <laughs> never been scorned, right? And it's so important that you continue to do this now. Like this is, he should be the business model forward. Heedle dominated in Hartford when he was there. He was there for 46 games his rookie year. He was dominant. He was dominant when he went back down there two years later. He had to go back down. He went back down, he dominated, and he's back right back up. Same, uh, similar storylines as which Sesterkin went through. He dominated down there and he got right up. He's followed the process, right? And when you have an athlete that is married loyalty-wise to the organization, you can't help but really buy in yourself too. Easy part of business for me is when you can keep your own people that have been drafted and developed in-house because it not just sends a message to that player, but it sends the message to the other guys that are coming next. Like, look what Heedle did. Watch how he followed the process. You want to go, you want to pull a crabs off? Well, you're not going to play in Vancouver too. Uh, the grass isn't greener. Yeah. So to me... It goes right back down to draft, develop, stay within. They've been exceptional together. This is going to be the line of Heedle, Kako, Lafreniere that is the difference maker in the playoffs. Mark my words. Right now, they've played 56 games together uh, this season. They've scored 30 times. They've only been on the ice for 18 at five on five. How about that? Yeah. Right? So, you know, this is a line that's going to be a difference maker. They're going to be lined up. In most favorable favorable matchups, I think our third line in New York is better than anybody else's. So have at it. You know, if the top two lines saw off in the playoffs, it's going to be very interesting to see how well the Heatle line plays. And he's a huge piece of it. I'm really happy for that piece of business. And that line too, you know, I think you look back at last season and they played together. I think just looking on natural statric, I think it was 28 minutes and change they played together during the regular season. And then out of, either out of necessity, out of desire to get certain things going with the top six, that's the line that Gerard Gallant hit on, I'm sure. In hindsight, he would say it was his genius that decided to put them together in the playoffs <laughs> and see them soar like they did, especially through uh, the Carolina series and the and the first couple games of the Tampa series. Um but this year, it's really been the line, and it's it's the main reason why Alexi Lafreniere is having a, a really solid six to eight week stretch right now. When that line got back together, and we've seen we've forgotten all about the, the healthy scratch and laughs kind of December, you know, November, December, January malaise, and and I think with Capo Caco, who's you know now starting to shoot the puck a lot more, like he did early in the year when he was he seemed to hit the post or. Goalie would make a ridiculous save on him every time he had a good chance in front of the net in the first six weeks of the year. He's there's a chance, only five games left. There's a chance that these three guys all top twenty goals, and that in even in as the offense is starting to pick up in 2022-23, for guys who average 12, 13 minutes a night, and that's it, and maybe a few seconds of power play time, 
those are huge numbers for those three guys. Like yeah, you said, and I, they're and huge I, numbers because they're not playing enough power play time to really warrant them being able to have numbers into the twenties. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, I, I think, uh, I think you're right. You know, I I did a mailbag with some questions from fans, and I was asked what are kind of the three X factors for the playoffs. Igor was one for me. Uh, a killer power play was two, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And the kid line doing what they did for stretches in last season's playoffs, but for the whole playoff run this time is paramount because those top six guys with the names that they have, you know, even if you don't, you haven't seen Kane's best yet and you haven't seen Tarasenko's best yet and you haven't seen the best of the other top six guys with those two in the lineup, those are still the names that scare everybody. It's not yeah. the kid line. And I think that's, that's the secret weapon and not, not really a secret, but they're going to be, uh, for any the Rangers to have any success, that's got to be the line mm-hmm. that kind of comes up and surprises. That's fair. Oh, sorry, you're leaving that as a question, or was that a, sta- <laughs> was that a statement? <laughs> I was just going to let you say whatever you want. You no, can talk no, about it. Um, I would say that those three things, yes, yes, and yes, and I'm hoping that Kane can play with the pace that he played with prior to the trade. Yeah, you know, because he looks like he's laboring or saving it. <laughs> and 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 I don't know which and and that's what I mean when I'm saying earlier about you know do you, you think Kane doesn't know what a grind this is going to be you know and and I don't know if he's at eighty percent with his hip or or what have you but he knows he's got three cups he knows this is going to be a grind so I you know what I'd imagine if I'm him I am kind of just getting through it here you know feeling feeling good about my game but I know there's another level there and I think that he knows there's another another level and. I think that speaks to what the Rangers do allow off the rush because he and Panarin, they have to protect the puck really well and not allow the big chances against. So I'm hoping there is a, uh, a switch to be flicked. If there's a fourth, the fourth would be, you know, Kane and Panarin playing with pace. All right, so we'll finish up here with our usual uh, three-person roundtable. We'll bring in our producer extraordinaire, Chris Flannery. Chris, how you doing? Did you you got through last week okay, even though the two of us were were struggling mightily? Yes, I stayed away from all kinds of nut mixes. I didn't. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm fine. Uh, Thank you for that's, asking. That's what we like to hear. So, yeah. uh, I think our roundtable question to finish off the show, pertaining a little bit to what Valley was saying about Kane and Panarin. Um, we've seen Gerard Gallant tinker. With the top six, if we've got a game tonight here against the Lightning at the Garden, if Patrick Kane plays, he took a maintenance day yesterday, and I, you know, talking to him this morning, he wasn't completely sure whether he was trying to be overly cautious or, um, or seriously considering sitting out. Uh, if he plays, it's going to be uh, Kreider, Zibanejad, Kane, Panarin, Trocheck, Tarasenko. So I, I feel like. This is like a this is like one of those math problems with like how many combinations can you make out of these six guys, yeah. um, and then the power play, which you know produced a good you know Mika Zibanejad's goal uh, towards the end of the Washington game on Sunday, uh, still with Kane on that top unit. If there's one change that you could make to the lines, to the D pairs, to the power play, what would you make? And I know Chris, you are the voice of the fan here on the show, and the fans always have. Lots of suggestions for changes. <laughs> yeah. So bring fans, us what you fans love to change the line. Yes. I know that yes. One. Yes. Go ahead, that's Chris. For sure. I so so it, Chris, I want to hear whether it's power play, top six, bottom six, whatever you think. What's the one change to the lineup that you feel like would uh, be kind of optimum heading into the playoffs? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't touch the bottom six at all. Like you guys have been talking about, I think the kid line has looked, you know, really good and, and they've been great five on five and the fourth line's been doing their thing. So I, I wouldn't touch the bottom six at all. I mean, I'm interested to see. I think Kreider being back on Zabanajed's wing makes sense. Um, to me, Zabanajed and Tarasenko have had nice chemistry, but, you know, I think it's worth a shot if Kane plays to see what, what that group looks like together. I think Panarin and Trocek started to have. Uh, the chemistry they were kind of looking for all season before um, Kane came came over. Uh, so that you know, we nice to see those two together. To me, I think, like you said, big X factor going into the playoffs. That power play, that first power play unit, has to be deadly the way it was. Uh, you know, for most of last season, the beginning of this season. To me, I think I love Patrick Kane. I'm glad he's here. I think he's going to be a, a, a an important player throughout the playoffs. To me, I think you just have to put that first power play unit back together the way it was and the way it's been for, you know, most of the, you know, most of the last couple of seasons. Zabanajad's got to be the shooter on that line. I think when you when you mix Kane into that, uh, there's there's a lot of looking around. People are not sure who the shooter is. You're like, there's too much deferring. I think you just need to put that first power play unit back the way it was. Kreider, Trocek, uh, Zabanajad, Panarin, and Fox. And then you figure out what goes on with the second unit. I definitely understand there's too many left-handed players on that uh, on the second unit. It's too bad they don't have one more righty that they could mix in there. But you know that's something you got to figure out. But to me, that first power play unit just has to be deadly, and I, I would put it back to the way that it was when it was deadly for for many months. And Chris, one question: What about Panarin in the bumper and Kane on the half wall? Kreider, net front, Fox points, Zibanejad in the spot. What about that? You don't like that one? No, I, I don't hate that. I think that's okay because then you obviously then Trocek can be on the second unit and then you got your another righty there, which which obviously helps uh, you know everybody slot in a little bit better. Um, no, that that doesn't bother me. But you know why I like that one is because Panarin will attract a lot of attention yeah. and allow Kane to make seam passes across to Zibanejad or up to Fox. To yeah. be able to get it to Zabanajad because those are the, the, the that's the guy you want to have the shot. Yeah. But Panarin needs to take away enough attention, which to me is the reason why Washington for all of these years has always worked with Ovechkin, because Oshi takes so much attention in his position, which is really important, which is the bumper spot. Yeah, for sure. But if you're going to put Panarin there, he definitely he has to. At he has least, to shoot. Yeah, he's got to. He's got to <laughs> right. at least got a threat he, to shoot. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that's why that configuration hasn't worked so well is because Panarin, he's got to be a shooter he just he's got to be, be he's got to be yeah. the bumper guy he's got to yeah. be the guy who's looking at the net who's not you know dangling in a shooting on, position. A, on his tiptoes and yeah, dangling yeah yeah. yeah yeah so that i think that's a tough adjustment so i i see what chris is saying you also have to be the guy that's going to tell patrick kane he's playing power play too so. <laughs> yeah that's that's see i'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> that's that part i forgot to tell you that you personally have to tell the greatest american player of all time like, yeah sorry we're not the, the other guy's going to play 95 seconds and you can get the scraps but, yeah good luck with that <laughs> valley do you have any uh any advice for uh for gerard galan about uh changes or do you like the way things are now so for me personally I like the lines the way they were, and I think they're going to – I don't think – okay, one thing that stands out is Kane and Kreider certainly have some chemistry. Uh, I pulled a bunch of stuff earlier here, and they can play together. So mm -hmm. they complement each other very well. So with them moving up to Zabanajad, maybe that's more of a, a duo kind of being able to come up here, and let's really see what they can do on the top line, take a lot of attention. And 
Tarasenko and Panarin interesting on wings with Trocheck. It totally can work. I guess, I guess, hey, look, it's going to work um, because there's so much skill and skill adapts. I don't, I don't really say, I guess I could say, I don't really see that much of a difference whether they were the lines the way they were with Kreider, Trocheck, and Kane versus with Zibanejad. I mean, they can both work. Mika's such a responsible centerman. He, he can help anybody, and he's a shooting threat as well as a distributor, and that kind of makes him really unique because he's a double threat that way, and he can feed both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. Hey, look, I just love the top six, period. I think you can mismatch that top six and make it work, depending on who's going on what nights and who's at 100%. Remember the way Strom played last year in the playoffs, fellas? He was on one leg, you know? Yeah. And at some point, it's going to get really hard, and guys are going to get banged up. So if there's some flexibility and some organizational agility, uh, being able to move that top six around, doing it now with five games to go, not a bad look. But I like the, I did like the lines the way they were before, too. Oh, wow. it's a lot of positivity. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would focus on the power play. You know, I suggested in that article earlier this week that Kane might be better off in power play, too. I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I think you got to have his... His ability to hang on to the puck and create space for everybody else and, and you know, the way that they scored that goal with Zibanejad, you know, I think no, not any, not a lot of people are expecting a Kane shot from where he shot from and that pops a rebound out. That's, you know, that's that's uh, easy pickings for Zibanejad. Um, the one thing I would change, though, and, and you know, they're not going to give equal time to power play two just based on who they've got on power play one. I would rotate... <clears throat> Well, you know, I've see, we've seen Fox start with with either unit, although now it seems more like it used to be where that's just power play one's going to be out there for a while and power play two is going to get what they're going to get. But whether it's Fox or whether it's Zibanejad, whether he can handle those minutes to just put one of those top guys on that second unit to give them a little bit more, someone who's felt the puck a little bit more. You know, I know that Heedle, uh is deserving of power play time. I don't know that he's in a spot really he's just behind too many guys who are similar to him in terms of the shooting. And, and I don't think he's, he's that effective in the bumper spot. Um, I, I guess just tinkering with it a little bit more. And and really, I think the biggest change, if you had Zibanejad with that second unit and you already have Tarasenko, I'd put Keandre Miller up at the top instead of so, totally Truba. agree with you on that. I, I know that. And I know it, I, I would get the sense. And if we had Turk here right now, he would say it's really just, responsibility that second power play units out there at the tail end yeah you gotta you gotta think defense you know you know they they call that fourth forward off so they can put miller on there but i feel like miller is a better distributor truba's a grip it and rip it kind of guy and that doesn't really help if that group gets a decent amount of power play time so i'd be interested to see what miller could do with a couple of shot first guys in the wings um but this to you know there's not a lot of once you decide to have kane on that top unit um, with the guys that were already staying out there for a long, you know, the majority of the power play, they're going to stay out there for the majority of the power. And play. You know what else guy. it is too, Arthur, you know, what's really important is that, um, okay. Zabanajad's the most important guy. Let's just call him out as the guy that's really important to the power play. Sure. Okay. When Kreider gets the puck at the beginning of the playoff series, do you know what he has to do when he's below the goal line? He has to throw it at the goalie's feet blind. The goalie has to know that at any moment Kreider is willing to make that play. Otherwise, the goalie is able to cheat on Kreider's pass, whether it's to mm-hmm. Zibanejad or Panarin in the bumper. The same way that Kane, when he steps off the wall, 
he has to show the goalie early in the playoff series that he's a threat to shoot. And we're yeah. going to shoot from here. We're going to shoot from here. And Panarin has to do the same thing because Panarin and Kane, they're very good at throwing false information at the goalie and then slipping a pass across. And we know that Fox is willing to pass every time as well, but shoot a little bit more as well. If those three guys, Panarin, Kane, and Fox, can establish themselves as shooting threats, well, Kreider, when he's low, is always willing to let the goalie feel like he's a threat to throw it at his feet. Now they can't get the jump on Zibanejad because when Zibanejad ran cold there for a while, would he go 15 games without power play yeah. goal? Yeah. It's because the goalies were able to get the jump on him. Right. They know that, that, that he's the guy and they've pre-scouted it. And nobody, my feeling, is doing enough of a job to help Mika by being more of a presence or throwing a little more deception towards not just the PK, not just the box. It's a, it's really the goalie. The goalie is going to, you can get across early on Mika's one-timer and get to the middle of the net. You can protect and help yourself on a level that wouldn't be able to be achieved if the other guys were doing their job. I think we've solved it. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> well, as always, I hope that uh, Gerard Lant is listening to this and yeah, right uh, on. Yeah. takes our <laughs> advice. And if it all works out, then... First, I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Beginning of the power play, game one, low play to Kreider, throw a blind at the goalie's feet. You know right. why? You want to know why? Two things. Either he scores on it or it goes to his feet and everybody else knows the first play is going to his feet, so they're there for a rebound or a broken play. Yeah. All right. I like it. I like it. Coaching yeah. from Valley. There you go. Well, thank you, boys. It's good to be back for all of us, and uh, we wish good health for the Rangers for these last five games. We wish good health for all of us and all of our families for the for the duration so we can yes. be here to talk some Rangers hockey. So thanks, Chris. Thanks, Valley. All right, thank guys. You, Great catching up with you. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening to The Garden Faithful. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review if you're enjoying the show. That really helps us out. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Five games left to go, starting with the Lightning tonight here at The Garden. We'll catch up on all of them, headed towards the playoffs. Talk to you soon.